Welcome to the Tim Castle Live Show, where we meet courageous people doing inspirational things around the world. So today I was lucky enough to sit down with CEO and co-founder of Fencor, James Crosby. This is a man of huge mental resilience, mental toughness, but he's also brought mindfulness into his arsenal as well. So Fencor is going from strength to strength. It's an enterprise data management platform, has multiple benefits. If you're in the financial industry, I recommend you check it out. It's going to disrupt the whole industry when it comes to data and how you actually cleanse that data and take care of that data in terms of data management and tracking the data quality. So from there, we also spin off and we talk about his Ironman experience. This is a guy that's completed an Ironman and also really taken his game to the next level in terms of the inspiration and books and the way he goes out into the world and what he decides to do with his day. He's very much in control. He's got a lot of discipline, the way he applies habits to his daily life, and also things to do with sleep. We talk about his personal life. We talk about how he operates in terms of his mottos and his mantras. This is someone who's really raising the bar of what it means to be excellent. This is someone who goes out every day with a mission in mind and has that fire and that burning passion to take his life and his dreams and his vision to the next level. He's definitely living up to the someone who's courageous and doing inspirational things around the world. He drops so much knowledge in this episode. If you've ever wanted to meet someone who's run, done, swam, biked, done an Ironman, then this is your opportunity. This guy, it does not stop. He is the energizer bunny, but optimized. I recommend this episode wholeheartedly. Go check out James Crosby. The details are in the show notes. Fencor is rocking it going from strength to strength as well. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce James Crosby. All right. Well, James Crosby, co-founder and CEO of Fencor, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to get you on. No wonder, just a, a CEO and also an Ironman extraordinaire. Uh, it's wonderful <laughs> to have your, your presence on the show. I guess we could start with my favorite question, um, and it really goes back to what is your motto or mantra, and how do you apply it to your daily life? That's a, a great question. Um, I think uh, I'd probably say, and it's actually a poster that we have here at home, is uh, work hard and be nice to people. It's quite a, quite a kind of popular uh, poster that a lot of people have a have uh, heard of I think and um, yeah. you know I really do do think that's uh, a nice way to live is, is just to you know in your daily uh, business and uh, interactions with people to, to be nice to them and also uh, you know to to gain a lot of pleasure from from working hard too and I, I think having said that though I do think it's also important to have a right work-life balance as well uh, mm. nowadays in particular and so uh, you know caveating that working hard with also you know playing hard and spending time with your family too. That's awesome. So to work hard and to be nice. And you see that, you see that every day, you wake up, you see that and you, you take that forward into your life every day. I certainly try to, um, definitely uh, more and more these days. And, uh, you know, I, I, nowadays I build into, um, 
my daily routine, a kind of a, a, a meditation in the mornings. And um, mm. that certainly helps a lot. Uh, a bit of a gratitude practice as well in the mornings. And I think that helps a lot in terms of uh, having more empathy in your uh, daily you know, uh, dealings with people. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, how did you, I'm really keen to understand, how did you get into mindfulness? Obviously, like it's, it's a bit of a journey and it comes to people at different stages, but has that always been a part of your life? No, it's been about the last um, two years or so, I think. And I, I more or less stumbled across a book called uh, Why Buddhism is True. And I, I really enjoyed it. And it's looking into the science around, um, you know, sort of the latest neuroscience around uh, meditation and mindfulness and, and looking at the uh, teachings of, of Buddha and and mm. how almost, you know, uh, how it's turned out to be so true about um, our minds and how they work. Uh, that, that, that's got, that got me interested in meditation. And, and he talks a lot in that book about, I've forgotten the author's name off the top of my head now, but um, he talks a lot about, uh, you know, going on these silent meditation retreats. And so off the back of that, I started Googling them and, and I actually found there's one over in, in Malaysia, just across oh, awesome. the border from Singapore. So I ended up going on this uh, 10-day silent meditation retreat. And, uh, and you know, it, it was very tough. It was particularly Fantastic. for me, who, I wasn't very, like, uh, you know, flexible. So sitting in that position um, for so many hours <laughs> was really, really quite difficult. So... By the end, I had to, you know, more and more sort of sit on a normal chair, which some of the other, particularly the men, uh, kind of had to resort to do because we're not known to be particularly flexible. But it did, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I did kind of really enjoy that. And ever since then, I've tried to integrate a, a daily meditation into my routine. Wow. And did, did you go on that alone? I did, yes. Um, I mean, it was, you know, uh, uh, probably about 30 people per session mm. go there so and I think it was around 10, 10 men and, and 20 women that were all in this and it's called a vipassana retreat that's the the type yes. of meditation that it is um and uh and yeah it, it really uh gets you into such a calm state uh, by the end of these 10 days of having no external stimuli and uh just being being uh, in this very peaceful environment in, in nature I uh uh, you're, you're, you're just kind of background chatter of your mind almost completely stops that, that kind of is is uh, is fed by our daily you know interactions with all the, the kind of news and facebook and so on um and it's amazing when you actually reach that almost like a kind of i don't know nirvana type thing I, I wouldn't say that i actually reached that by any stretch of the imagination but certainly a much calmer state of mind than i i tended to reach in the past that's great. That's that's absolutely fantastic. So, I I love shavasana, the the pose in in yoga where you you lay on the floor and you just just completely relax. <laughs> yes. I'm imagining that's so. Just so I'm correct, was it ten days without talking as well? Yes, ten days without any any talking at all. Yeah, I mean you could talk a little bit to the teachers if you had a particular question or didn't quite understand some of the teachings. Uh, that was the one exception in, in these des- dedicated slots. You could uh, book mm. yourself in with a teacher and, and have a conversation with them, but not not uh, you weren't to talk or make any sort of facial expressions or anything to any of the other participants on the on the session. So it was um, yeah quite tough, but but very very enlightening. So when the noise is stopped, the voice has has the chatter, everything's gone away. You're not talking. 
what revelations come through? Can you talk us through how that feels to be in that space? Is a 10-day, no-talking mindfulness retreat is amazing. And I think it's a lot of things that the people aspire to do or we read in books, but to meet someone that's actually gone and done it, that's, that's a phenomenal experience. Yeah, it's, um, you can just really think so much more clearly. Mm. Uh, that's certainly the experience I had. Uh, I, I was sort of thinking back to you know, events that had happened in the past and suddenly I saw them in a new light and, and could see things um, you know, much more clearly. Uh, <clears throat> maybe just, you know, I don't know, I can't think of a, an actual example off the top of my head, but things like maybe an argument I'd had with somebody in the past and I just sort of suddenly, being a, thinking things through much more empathetically, I could suddenly see their side of the whole story a lot more um, and, and by the end, you, you do just, there are, there are also elements of, um, you know, kind of becoming more empathetic as part of this, uh, it's called the, um, you know, uh, let me try and remember the name of it, but it's something around the, um, kind of a, a very much focused on, on love and give, giving peace and love to the world is, is an aspect of this 10 day silent meditation retreat. And so you do become naturally more empathetic to everyone around you uh, and i think that is is really a, a quite a beautiful thing so that that fits really nicely then into your mantra and your motto for your day to you know work hard but be nice be nice as well and that does that did that layer on a certain aspect and obviously you, you do mindfulness and meditation in the morning what what time are you getting up can you talk us through your morning routine yeah, absolutely. So I, I get up uh, generally around 6.30 in the mornings, um, between 6 and 6.30. And uh, most of the time I just wake up naturally at that time, which is quite nice not to wake up with an alarm. And then, then I, the first thing I do before I turn on my, on my phone and, you know, start looking at any messages or anything, I, uh, you know, because that, that can be quite a sort of um, a distracting and almost prevent you from getting into a, a nice state of meditation, I find. So before I've read any messages or, any, or looked at emails, I uh, do my 20 minute of meditation, uh, followed by about five minutes of uh, giving gratitude for you know, everything that I have uh, in my life and all the people that I have been blessed with in my life and so on. Uh, anything that comes to mind that I'm grateful for. Uh, and I just spend some time thinking about that. Um, and yeah, that's, that certainly has, uh, I think, really helped me to be nicer to the people around me and integrate that into my life and the way I look at it it's not like one of these 10-day retreats you know sort of totally changes you from from a, into a totally new person but let's say you were the kind of person who uh in, in a certain situation you would get angry nine out of ten times if afterwards after after you've st- sort of started practicing meditation and mindfulness I think you can become the kind of person uh, who becomes angry maybe two two times out of the you know those 10 times so you know you're not you're still the same person but you're just um able to handle situations in a in a more calm way and, and it's, it's not going to eliminate ever getting angry again i i think but it, it can kind of reduce the the number of times you react to external stuff um just you know uh, with your with your emotions and let them overpower you wow that's great yeah so i mean as as ceo then of, of fencor keen to hear uh, enterprise data management what is that and and what are the benefits of enterprise data management within the ecosystem yes that's a very good question so 
Uh, it's a space that I've um, been in for about 12 years now. Uh, I was originally a software developer, and I've been a software developer for the majority of my career. And then, so as I said, about 12 years ago, I ended up in this data management space, which is um, a particular part of the fintech industry. And it's helping financial institutions improve the way they manage their data. So financial institutions have to deal with a ton of data that, that's passing through their organizations. And um, there's various pain points associated with that. So, uh, you know, they, they might have uh, data quality issues or they might have too many manual jobs that they're doing uh, and, you know, things like reconciliation. So one system says another, uh, one thing and another system says another. So that's the kind of issues that we can um, shed light on and, uh, and essentially help the financial institution um, improve the way they manage their data. That's in a nutshell, that's what we're about. And, you're, and, and what would an ideal client be? for you guys, like at Fencor? So an ideal client, uh, it would be a generally a buy-side institution initially. Uh, so that would mean a, an asset management firm, a pension fund, a hedge fund, these kind of people who, who manage assets. And um, you know, then, then we would help them. They, they consume a ton of data from the likes of Bloomberg and Refinitiv and the various other data vendors. And, and then they end up with a bit of a mess internally trying to process all that data and, and pass it down to their, their downstream systems. So it's all about streamlining the processes and make, making their life a lot easier. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and into that then, was this always a bit of your game plan to, to start a business and to take it to the levels of success that Fencor has had? Yes, it's something I've always been interested in. Um, I'd say for, the, for at least you know, 15 years, it's been in the back of my mind to one day start my own business and uh, with this having become my, you know my area of expertise it's uh, it, it's kind of made natural sense for this to be the area that I would start a business in and, and I noticed that it was an area that's ripe for disruptive disruption because a lot of the uh, players out there their tech is starting to age and becoming you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 years old so uh, it really is time for a younger more modern and uh, you know sort of a, a software solution that's using the latest technologies to come along and disrupt the industry. Mm, that's that's fanta- like fantastic. And obviously, you're not just CEO of Fencor, but you're a man of many talents. Really keen to understand the, the Ironman experience. Um, for those that don't know, Ironman is a 2.4-mile swim, followed by a 112-mile bike ride and a 26.2 mile run. So it's not for the faint hearted. Like what is the prep that goes into that? Can you, can you shed a bit of light for someone that hasn't done an Ironman? Yes. Uh, it, it's certainly something that uh, I built up over kind of many years. Initially just getting into, well, running in the first place was, was my kind of favorite uh, exercise, I guess. So for many years it was just the running uh, and then over time, I also added cycling into that. And swimming was the last piece that I, I got interested in. Um, and I was, I st- I'd say that's still my kind of weakest of the three disciplines. But uh, so, yeah, I started off doing a few sort of sprint tries as they're known. So that's much, much kind of shorter distances involved. And then moved up to some Olympic distance tries. This was back in the UK, maybe sort of uh, six or seven years ago. And then when uh, you know, my, my wife and I decided to 
to have a, a child, that was when I really thought, well, uh, I think I might just be too busy to be able to uh, fit in all the training that's required to, to do an Ironman when, once, once you know, our daughter had been born. So it was kind of a conscious decision to really try and train up and become fit enough to do an Ironman before she was born. And I, and I you know, luckily managed to, to do all that. But yes, it was kind of um, you know, between 15 and 20 hours of training per week that I was doing during the, the three months of training up for the Ironman. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite grueling at times, and there were certainly times when I didn't want to get out of bed to get up to, to go and go for a long bike ride. But it's um, yeah, the the satisfaction you get after completing one of these long rides or, or the Ironman itself is so much, is so great that it, all the effort that's gone in kind of becomes worthwhile in the end. Yeah, I can imagine that. That's absolutely crazy. Like um, what started you like what i know you said you you were good at running you found passion in running then you went to biking and then finally you had to do do some swimming but what made you choose to do to commit to doing the ironman because that is a, a huge feat was there a moment in your life that you said right this morning i've, I've changed like this is my mindset i'm gonna do an ironman um or was it something that you aspired to do for a while I, I think I had um, inspired to do it for quite a while, but it was almost just a, you know, a kind of a bit of a, I don't know, a spur of the moment or moment of madness almost where you, you just suddenly have this inspiration and, and you sign up. And the moment you've gone onto the website and signed up, uh, you know, I mean, you obviously could still change your mind, but it is such a big driver to, and it helps you to, to get motivated. Maybe you start telling some people that, yes, I've, I've signed up for a, an Iron Man, and then you've got a little bit of the maybe a bit of peer pressure from your friends that you or you, you know you want to uh, make sure that you deliver on what you've said you're going to do. So uh, yeah, it just becomes a kind of a, a thing that snowballs, and, and suddenly you notice that you're you know you're training X hours a week. So yeah, but it was definitely something I'd thought about for for many many years. Mm. Um, initially, just hearing people who'd done it and thinking that's that's insane. I don't think I'll ever be able to kind of uh, manage that but then having seen it from that angle then once you you are able to do it obviously then the the satisfaction of having been able to you know climb up to that level of um, exertion and, and actually succeed in it is, is obviously a lot of satisfaction yeah massive how, how do you feel after an Ironman what what happens the moment after you finished it's really, it's really quite strange, and it's it's exactly what I felt when I when I finished my first marathon, particularly towards the end. The first one I did was in Paris, and it was it was a really, uh, you know, beautiful day and, and really scenic backdrop for for running a marathon. I enjoyed the first half, but then as you get closer and closer to the end, I, I wasn't enjoying the scenery at all anymore. I was just in, in a world of pain, and I just thought, why on earth did I sign up to this? What was I thinking? And, and, and sort of thinking, I'm never going to do one of these again. But then the minute you cross the finish line, you almost just forget the pain that you went through. And you just think, wow, you know, it becomes this kind of a bit addictive. And, and you, then you just have this um, real sense of achievement. And, uh, and you sort of then think, OK, what, what's my next challenge? When am I going to sign up for the next thing? So I'd say it was quite similar in the Ironman. There were moments where I thought, I could just be sitting on my sofa right now. Why am I, you know, hundred miles into a bike ride? Uh, and then you just, you just kind of got to keep going. And then when you cross the finish line, this, uh, the sense of sort of euphoria 
uh, and um, yeah, I can imagine. It just yeah, yeah, sounds. Kind of yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that yeah, it, it's it's been in my mind to do, but it's uh, I've, I've I've flirted with the idea before, but to actually go out there and and to commit to that to that routine to the mental resilience, I can imagine the mental resilience you have to have during the Ironman to push yourself through your own walls, through your own boundaries. But also that might give you that sensation of like, I'm trying to understand it. Is there a way that you apply that to business then from if you understand what you can do in the physical for your own self and you go, right, I didn't think I could do this. I did it. It's amazing. Does that then allow you to, did you see your business game go up in terms of problems and challenges? Cause you, you knew there was a way or you knew there was some sort of mental resilience you could apply to a business problem. Like, has that had an impact on your entrepreneurial world? I, I think, I mean, there are certain parallels, I think, um, between, between just, uh, I guess, being, you know, kind of gritty. I think you need to have a, a level of grit and determination to do, to do well in, in a startup, but also in, in something like a, an Ironman. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that has actually been shown to be one of the most important sort of uh, drivers of, of success or indicators of somebody who might be, you know, a successful entrepreneur is having that, that grit and determination. So uh, I, I absolutely do see some parallels there. Uh, and to, to have sort of proven that I can do the, the Ironman myself, um, you know, uh, then it did sort of add an element of if I can do that challenge, then, uh, you know, these other challenges then don't seem so daunting anymore as well. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. So what do you think is the single biggest driver of success? I, I, I do agree with, um, you know, that I've read a couple of books like uh, Outliers by um, Gladwell. Gladwell yeah. and, yes. And, and, uh, and another one called Grit by Angela Duckworth. And, you know, mm. both of them sort of talk a lot about um, how, how important it is. I mean, you, you need a certain level of, um, should we say like, you know, intellect, I guess, but it's actually not uh, a particularly good guide to how well somebody does in, in the business world or how, some, how successful somebody is. So let's say somebody, once you get past, I think it was roughly 130 IQ is, is what uh, um, I think Angela Duckworth sort of realized. You don't really see any more correlation between a higher IQ and success. And so, so that, what that means is you need a certain level of, um, uh, you know, traditional Im- intelligence, I guess. But beyond that, it's, it's actually other factors that are really the, the main driver of success. And, and grit uh, is, is one of the big ones. So just being able to keep going on, a bit like a, an energizer bunny sort of thing. <laughs> nothing can knock you down and you just keep, keep getting up and keep going and keep going. And that, I think, if you had to single out one thing, I think that is probably the one thing that, uh, that really is the biggest driver to success. Fantastic. Fantastic. Are there any lessons? I mean, when you, when you were setting up Fencor um, a while back, was there any, are there any lessons that um, you think that it would be helpful to entrepreneurs and, and people getting started or that want to make the jump into developing their own business? Yes. I think it would, it's really important to, to keep learning and keep, uh, keep listening to, to podcast, there's so much help and so much information out there, uh, and particularly um, books. There's so many books around 
um, the investment side of things for a, for a startup. So many books around uh, entrepreneurs, um, and and you know, this is this, um, zero to one by Peter Thiel, mm. um, lean startup, um, and and so many others. Uh, Brad Feldman, uh, I think he had a, he had a really good book called Venture Deals, I believe. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a long list of books I would recommend to anybody to read before they go on their journey as a startup entrepreneur because it just gives you that level of background information and, and learning from people who've been through it before and they have obviously some really valuable lessons that people can take on board before having to go out and make those mistakes yourself it's well worth it and sometimes I, I read a book now that I just think I wish I'd read that uh, you know before I started because that's been super helpful and one actually that I just read very recently is called the mum test and that's all mum about um, getting feedback from your target customers in the right way rather than just uh, you know if you ask your mum for example I've got this business idea it's a certain app for uh, you know recipes on your iPhone would you would you use that would you pay for that and of course your mum is going to say yes that sounds like the best idea ever because you know she loves you and she wants you to feel good so that is the wrong way to phrase the question. You know, the book goes into much more detail and phrase it much better. But there are certain ways of asking the questions. Um, it's it's all about understanding what people's life is like and how what kind of problems they have and how important those problems are to them to be solved, rather than talking about yourself and talking about your own business idea. Um, that's almost the last thing you want to talk about is your what your your ideas. You just want to hear and listen to what people's problems are. And that's the much better approach about getting feedback. So, yeah, that would have been a great book to read uh, two years ago, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that seems super. So that was the mum test. That seems that's right, yes. super important. Like the biases mm. that we inherently have, we get so excited about our idea. And then the questions we ask, they're almost leading towards a confirmation bias rather than actually eliciting and uncovering that information that could, could vitally transition our business to become a huge success. Um, That's right. Wow. I need to pick that up then. <laughs> 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 um, what, what areas of your life then give you inspiration, keep you driving forward? You're obviously a very focused, supercharged man with, with a vision and a dream here that is that is coming into reality what gives you you courage are there areas of your life that that do that yes definitely um so i mean one one thing that really drives me forward and uh, is actually my daughter sophie and uh it, it's it's um you know when when we decided to have have children I, I didn't really think how much of an impact it would have on me and it wasn't a sort of conscious decision to have a child to change my life in, in any sort of way, but it ended up having that effect. What it was, was, um, you know, in, in my past career, I would always, I would, I was you know, pretty motivated, quite driven, but still I, um, uh, you know, I, I always did enough in order to, to look like I was doing quite a good job. That was, you know, that was, that was my goal, but I was never sort of driven to um, a really high level. But when I had, when we had Sophie, then, suddenly I found a few extra gears I didn't know I had. And I think it was the thought that now my, my work is actually about providing for someone else. And it gave me this entirely new way of looking at things rather than just it being for me and 
uh, you know, my career, I guess, it was now suddenly to help provide for somebody else and give them the best life that I possibly can. And so that really is another big driver of my daily motivation and getting me out of bed in the mornings and, uh, and really giving me a lot of enjoyment in life. That's awesome. I love that. I love that uh, finding the extra gears and being like not knowing it's there, but then using that fire and that energy to really go at it in life. That's, that's amazing. Well, uh, yeah, I, I can, uh, I can agree with that. It, it really does put a rocket up you to, to really get out there and really test what you're made of, uh, with a newfound energy. What are you, like, obviously we're in COVID-19 right now and, it is challenging in terms of uh, the different business markets and economics that are happening and perhaps people are feeling anxious. If you're an entrepreneur out there right now, what would your top three tips be for someone who is, is trying to make headway, get growth in a market like this? Um, that's a very good question. I think that, I mean, right now, the, the investment environment is a bit tougher than it has been in the past, certainly here in, in uh, APAC. And so I would recommend that it is, is a good time to you know, look at your burn rate, uh, make sure you're not um, spending money uh, unnecessarily uh, and extending that runway. If, you know, if you're a kind of early stage startup, uh, it would be good, a good idea to extend that runway for as long as you have. And hopefully by the time the um, investment environment and the economy starts picking up again, then uh, you know you're still, of course, around to to benefit from that. So that would certainly be a um, a, a big piece of advice I would give. Um, apart from that, you know, certainly uh, I, I would still absolutely say go for it. If somebody was considering whether to start a business right now, so many successful companies did launch during economic downturns. There's, there's many many examples of it. In fact. There seems to be, you know, just an equal spread of uh, startups that ended up being successful across the uh, peaks and troughs of the economic cycle. So um, I would still just say absolutely go for it. And particularly if your business is about saving money, uh, you know, a B2B business that is around uh, providing a fast return on investment, like Fencore is, for example, uh, then actually you may well have an increased chance of success because you're there to save other businesses' money, and, and a lot of businesses are looking to make savings right now. Uh, and then the third piece of advice, that would be to, to, to look out for all the help that is available out there, and, and there is a mm. lot. So there's, there's government grants, there are um, special mentorship programs, you know, for example, the MAS, which is the, the regulatory authority here in Singapore, they are doing a great job of helping fintechs out right now with uh, organizing uh, senior folk at financial institutions to talk to startups and give them advice and give them help. So there's, there's lots of help out there. It's just a case of finding it and, um, and taking advantage of it. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, going from strength to strength there and uh, just showing how people can really, I love that. Take, take advantage of the opportunity with change comes opportunity. And yeah, they, they say that the seed of, uh, opportunity is in every kind of problem or challenge that you face the equal seed of opportunity is there you've just got to got to go for it i think that's that's really important what you said about 
if you're saving people money, if you're saving people time, much like your business is, that is actually an opportunity. This market right now is an opportunity. It's a market where people are looking on the lookout for, for things like that more than ever. So really, really inspirational. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Any major milestones from the FENCOR perspective that you'd like to talk about? Yes, um, I did want to mention that we actually made it into an accelerator program here in Singapore called F10, which we were really delighted about. It, it was over 300 other startups that applied and we made it into the final 10. So it was a, a really big validation of our product uh, vision and team. And uh, that's, that's probably the biggest milestone we've hit so far as an organization. And it's really going to give us that extra visibility here in Singapore and beyond, and uh, you know, open doors with financial institutions that would have been more difficult to open uh, before making it into the accelerator program. So we're uh, very happy about that. That's huge. Three hundred down to ten, final ten. That's amazing to get accepted on that. What do you think the main like reason that that you got selected was? I think it was. Uh, I mean, we we practiced the pitch a lot, so we really uh, you know. Did a, did a good job on pitching our, our business for we had a, a the final event was a sort of three minute pitch where we had to really make a big showcase and it all had to be online too because of the virus situation so we uh, kind of nailed the pitch I guess and uh, and then also uh, we'd already you know kind of uh, made contact with the various folks that are behind the program so we'd already had some conversations with some folks at um, you know, the, the corporate backers, so the, the existing relationships and the visibility that we'd already managed to gain with them, I think also was a, was a, was a help there too. Right. So basically know your stuff, know how to articulate your USPs when you're going into a pitch with either an opportunity or investors, you want to make sure that you're, you, you're using that time to really get across how powerful your business is and what it's going to do for the end consumer, for the user, for your client. Um, and also then being able to do that relationship side on the side so that actually you're further down the pathway and you're not just coming in blind. Uh, so it's not as cold. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's down to really just networking a lot, which is one of the biggest parts of being an entrepreneur is getting out there and meeting as many people as you can. And always, whenever you meet somebody, you try and get them to introduce you to one, one or two more people. And, and it has this snowball effect of, really expanding your network quickly. And, and that, I think, played a crucial role in it. How have you found that in, in Singapore? It's, it's very, very good, actually, here in Singapore. The um, uh, very business-friendly environment. Um, everybody's up, to, up for meeting for a coffee. It's, it's a bit different now, of course, that uh, we have to do everything online, more or less. Uh, or we certainly did do for a, a few months there. But people are also very willing to jump on a call. And so, yes, whenever you speak to somebody, this would be another big piece of advice I would give is whenever you do speak to somebody, always say, who, who else do you think I should talk to? And, uh, and try and get some more names so that you can expand your network that way. That's great. I mean, and, and then I guess, is it that overcoming that, right, I'm going to ask this question, I'm going to make the ask, are there any parts of advice you can give around what if someone feels uncomfortable asking that question that how do they follow up and really make sure that they get not only any context but the right context because like like you said networking is so crucial 
and can basically stand between you and the opportunity you want or your, your next 10 clients? Like, how do you make sure that you make the ask and then that you're confident in to follow up to get what you need out of it? I think it's, it's very important to be very polite, very mindful that uh, you know they're they're doing you a favour. They're they're using their social capital on you, and, and everybody only has a limited amount of social capital to to give away. Essentially, you don't want to be somebody who's constantly uh, using your contacts for for introductions all the time. So be mindful of that, and be to so be polite when you're asking for these introductions. Uh, but but certainly you know most of the time people I mean the worst thing that could happen is somebody would say no that they're not comfortable to do that and then that's also not the end of the world so it's always just still worth asking and then following up once you have that uh, that name or that email address or yeah I love that so it's going right back to your mantra about being nice and actually taking that with you when you're making the ask it's not all about you it doesn't actually matter if, if, if they say no, they have the res- right to say no, you're going to respect that. And it's also about not overusing it. So it goes, that's you living out your daily mantra and, and giving it out to the world. You're almost giving people the opportunity to help you, but it's, it's definitely a gift, not a, you must do this. Yes, definitely. That, that would be the way to try and think of it. I think, yes. So obviously a man of, of many, many talents that we've gone into, but in terms of what influences you, when it comes down to the knowledge that and the wisdom that you're putting into your head, what books, what kind of podcasts, what, what things are influencing you in that way? What do you feed your mind with? I really love uh, the audio books uh, at the moment. That's, that's something I listen to a lot on my commutes. When I, when I was still commuting at the moment, I was working from uh, our, our sort of office at home nowadays, but um, I still try and find the time to listen to uh, audible uh, audio books as, as often as I can and um, so yes I, I I get a lot of my advice from from those and um, a couple of ones that I've really enjoyed recently are um, I already mentioned you know, the book about mum test and also um, why Buddhism is true but I would recommend those two to anybody but there's a, another book called why we sleep that I really enjoyed recently and it's all about how important it is. Uh, it's by Matthew Walker. And it's all about how important it is to get the right amount of sleep and how much of an impact that has on your um, ability to remember things, on your uh, uh, health and well-being and so on. And so, so that is a really uh, a big, you know, that's been a really big uh, help for me to, to improve my sleep hygiene, as they call it. Um, where you, you, you maybe, if, if you are particularly sensitive to caffeine, for example, you really try and avoid any caffeinated drinks after, let's say, even midday, because it can take so long for that to break down. And you might then wake up at, at 3 a.m. wide awake and wonder why that is. And it could actually be because you had a coffee at 2, at 2 p.m., because it takes so long to break down. So it's some of those eye opening points that, that can help you get the most out of your, um, you know, your, your providing yourself with a lot of sleep opportunity uh, and that's the amount of time you're actually lying in bed but you you want to make that as efficient as possible so actually getting the the most amount of sleep from the time that you're lying in bed and and the best quality sleep which is the uh, the deep sleep and the the REM sleep so that was a 
book that I would definitely recommend. The other one I would recommend is, is Be the Lion as well, uh, <laughs> which is uh, a shameless plug of your book. I, I really just finished that uh, the other day and really enjoyed that too. So uh, thank oh, you for awesome. that. I love that type of book, which is, uh, you know, a kind of a self-help book that can help you um, uh, help your drive and, and, and uh, improve your, your performance. Oh, no, I'm glad, I'm glad you found value in it. Um, so entrepreneurship there's always this vision of entrepreneurs working through the night, hustling, doing whatever it takes, sleeping two hours a day. Basically what you're saying is after reading why we sleep, that's not the way to do it. It's not about burning all the candle and completely like not, not sleeping because there's a lot of material out there right now or has been around just do more work and you'll, you'll make it. Have you seen, the benefits of sleep then now just taking effect and the fact is how many hours of sleep do you get i try to get between seven and eight hours sleep a night and uh most nights i i am able to to get that and uh and yeah i don't think that you know um i think in order to make the most of your time that you're working and be really productive you need to be well rested and, and have a fresh mind and, and the only way to to achieve that is by getting the, the amount of sleep that you need uh, and to function at your absolute best. So mm. it's, uh, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, um, paradoxically, you can actually do more with, uh, with less time if you are well rested and uh, at, your, at your peak. That sounds, like, that sounds like something out of zero to one as well. That, that's that kind of zero to one move where you it's do do more with less, but actually it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but actually you're getting way more out of the hours that you're actually focused on your business because you're fully charged, you're powered up, you're ready to go rather than 25% left in you. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think that's amazing. I, I think that's also really hard for, for someone who, when you've got that business within you, when you've got that fire and all you want to do is go for it, it can be quite hard to, to, to switch off. I certainly have found that where um, I have ideas, I wake up, maybe, maybe my son Levi wakes up and then suddenly I'm like, oh, it's 1am. I could get up and do a couple of hours of work. I've got my brain starts going. Do you ever find that or do you, do you have the discipline when that happens to then switch off again and say, no, have you made that decision to sleep is more important? Um. Yeah, I'd say I am. I am fairly disciplined at it. Um, that's not to say if I if I do wake up wide awake at, at four a.m. and I and I genuinely know that I'm not going to get back to sleep for a couple of hours because of just how wide awake I am. I, I do sometimes get up and just think, well, and, and the, the Why We Sleep book doesn't actually say that that's necessarily uh, a problem to get up and do something. Then your mind really associates being in bed with sleeping and so so if, if you're lying in bed uh, sort of tossing and turning wide awake for, for a very long time you know, and some um people who really suffer with sleep then end up end up doing that you know they might lie in bed unable to sleep for six hours and that's also not good so uh, getting up and doing a couple of hours work at that point is is not necessarily such a bad thing so uh but i think it's best to try not to make it a complete habit either yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's about being disciplined when you need to be. And then, yeah, I really like that, what you just said about um, understanding the context within the sleep. If you're just going to lay there half awake for six hours, that's not great. Let's do something with it. But then mm. if, if you, you need sleep, then to really force yourself and make sure that you get it. Um, well, James, 
thank you so much for all this wisdom that you shared. I'm off to do a 10-day silent meditation retreat now in Malaysia uh, <laughs> after this chat. Uh, I'll, I'll report back, but it's been absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. You're definitely someone that's out there doing courageous things, being inspirational, taking your game to the next level. You've dropped a ton of wisdom here today and the listeners are going to be really over the moon to, to hear all of this that you've, you've spoken about, especially Fencor starting the business, getting it to the level of success that it's at, but also being able to do Ironman and really just taking all of your inspiration and how you operate your daily life. Thank you so much for sharing everything today with us. Thank you very much, Tim. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.